welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, Mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. Yeah, it definitely rounds out the chart a little bit more. And I'm going to like take it back, even dumb it down a little bit more, Stacey, because for me, I didn't even know what that meant when people would say that. And I also didn't know how to find those things. So for the listeners, I just want you to know that there are certain questionnaires that you can give to your patients during treatments. And you can give them first treatment, and then oftentimes they're given at treatment six 
So you give them sporadically throughout treatment and it kind of helps round out your chart to make it look more professional and so that the insurance companies can track whether the patient is getting better or not or how much better they're getting. Hello, Aki Sprouts. Welcome back to the show. Today, I'm pretty fortunate to have my uh, guest co-host here, Dr. Megan Lindsay. And today we're going to be talking about charting. She and I did an episode on how to treat more than one patient an hour recently. And in that episode, we talked a little bit about charting. And then I got questions about charting. So I thought we would just pop back on here and go over charting for new practitioners. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about specifically what needs to be in your evaluation. And then we chat about what doesn't need to be in your evaluation? Sometimes I think we overchart a little bit. So we get pretty specific on what needs to be in that chart. Then after that, we chat about what needs to be in your follow-up. And one of the questions that I specifically got is what needs to be in a re-evaluation if you're not treating something that's orthopedic? So stick around for that. Welcome to the show, Megan. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you asking me back to talk about these things. And always gives me an opportunity to study it a little bit more so I can improve it on my end as well. Yeah, right. So Megan and I did a, a brief run through of all of the notes a couple of days ago, and we realized that we don't have all the answers. So if you have conflicting information, you can either reach out or you can research it on your own as well and ask some other people. Billers are usually pretty good people to ask these questions because they see where we fail often. So if you have a biller, and you think something that we talked about is not quite on par, then you need to reach out to your biller. Any thoughts on that, Megan? No, I was just going to say that's exactly right. Perfect. And you had a really great story when we chatted about this the other day, and I hope that you share it during the podcast. I hope you share with me what the what the story is that I'm supposed to share. Oh, no. <laughs> about being audited, about about your charts being audited. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Before we start, I feel like I haven't really chatted with my audience much about where I'm at in all of this. You guys know that I started the podcast as a new practitioner in, oh gosh, I started the podcast in 2020, I think, and have been talking about it and just basically trying to help new practitioners transition from school to career ever since. But my life has continued to change because obviously I started practice in 2019 and then COVID hit and my practice went under. And I was in a town where I didn't really know people, so it was super challenging. And then recently I moved again. So I moved back to where I am originally from and where I had a massage practice for 20 plus years. So I have community here and things have changed quite a bit. But what I really want to update you on is that I actually took a job, which I'm so surprised about. And <laughs> I also am starting my own clinic. So I have my own clinic part-time and I'm doing this job part-time, but the job is working in a biomedicine clinic supporting first responders only. The reason that I wanted to work here, and this is truthfully where I wanted to work when I graduated in 2017, I couldn't get my foot in the door because the medical doctor was asked by the fire departments to actually establish a well program. So when we hire new firefighters, they go through a huge, huge baseline of testing. They test their VO2 max. They test their heart, their eyes, because firefighters and cops typically have heart problems, which is usually what is the thing that they die early of, honestly, because their life is so hard and so challenging and they're woken up all the time and they're 
nervous systems are under fire all the time. So he's a wellness doctor, right? And I was super excited about that because I also love working kind of with the athletic population. So anyway, the reason I'm saying this is because I went to work for them. I got fully credentialed with every single insurance company in the state and they have a biller. So I don't have to do my own billing, but I'm learning a ton about charting and how Western medical doctors chart and physical therapists chart because we have a full house, full spectrum clinic. So they have PT, mental health. There's all sorts of programming on how to have good sleep hygiene. So I'm reading the doctor's charts. I'm seeing how they're charting. And I think Megan alluded to the fact that I had a good story. And that is that when I first started, he was nervous about my charting because he is responsible now. And if we get fined by the insurance company because of something that I do, then he has to pay it, not me. And so he was a little bit nervous. He's not nervous about me particularly. He's afraid because acupuncturists are the underdog. And if there's going to be someone that's going to get targeted in this clinic, it's going to be me. And so he asked our biller to watch me, (laughs) which was hilarious because she was like, I don't know what spleen chi, kidney, yang, X, U. I don't know what you're doing. How, do, how can I know what you're looking at on the pulses? And I was like, there's no way you can possibly understand what I do, nor can you actually monitor my charting to see if I'm actually doing a good job. And he was like, okay, let's call the insurance company. Let's say let's call Regions or Blue Shield and turn in her notes and ask them to do an audit. Instead of them randomly auditing us, let's ask them to do an audit. That way, we have it documented if they decide to do an audit. She can fix everything if there's anything that needs to be fixed. And we can use that as a protest that she's doing everything that needs to be done because that's exactly what you told her to do. So the point is, if you're going to be billing insurance, it's not a bad idea to call the insurance company and say, hey, I'm going to submit my notes. I want you guys to audit them and tell me if there's anything that I'm missing. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think that's such a unique opportunity that you're getting to have right now that not a lot of us will get to have, but, you know, the medical charting is based on those standards, those biomedical Western standards. And it's important, I think, for us to kind of learn from those experiences so we can incorporate them. And our medicines are not the same and we can't marry them together oftentimes. But when it comes to something like the charting and the soap notes, we absolutely should be able to come to some cohesive, similar way that we chart and we note. And that way it looks professional to other doctors. And in an ideal world, we're, we as acupuncturists should want to send our charts and network with other biomedical practitioners, other Western practitioners, get in contact with our patients' doctors. And we don't want to look uneducated. You know, we definitely want to look like we're at their level because we are supposed to be educated to that level. So I think you have a great opportunity here and I'm excited to learn more from it and just us talking about it has really made me check myself just in the last couple of days in my own clinic. Because these things kind of fall by the wayside. You learn them in school, you do them, and then eventually you kind of get a little bit lazy and you start dropping certain things, but they're there for a reason. And so it's nice to get a little kick in the ass and be reminded, (laughs) hey, don't forget to pay attention to this. Yeah, and I think especially too, if you are taking insurance, you're more likely to Watch your P's and Q's and make sure that you're crossing all your T's and dotting your I's. But if you're not taking insurance and you don't think anybody's looking, that's where you're actually in danger because 
you could always be sued and your records are not going to be up to par. Actually, they're going to be kind of like Megan's alluding to, kind of embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous about this in the beginning because I knew that they were going to be looking over my shoulder and I knew that our training was not to the level that the PTs are or just the language is not there as far as how to say these things. So today I'm going to try to give examples of how I state things. And I am 100% not saying that I know everything. My chart has not been audited yet, but I'm doing this based on what I'm seeing and everything's being paid on now. So the insurance companies are paying on everything that I'm doing. So we're going to start with the evaluation and then we're going to move on to what to put in the follow-up visits. The evaluation, since we have electronic health records, most of this stuff is already, thank goodness, kind of part of our intake. And so there are very important key elements that need to be in your eval. And obviously, that's just the basic demographic information, the patient's full name, date of birth, address. This is obviously treatment number one, and then the date of service. And I'm going to bookend this with, you need to sign and date every single chart. And I highly suggest you do it the same day that you did the eval. Uh, I'm going to jump in here and say, a lot of the electronic health records programs also have an ability for you to unlock. If you sign it, you can unlock it and then you can go back in. I really recommend you guys get out of the habit of unlocking them and going and fixing them and instead use the feature that allows you to add an addendum because that addendum will show with its new time stamp and date. And that is actually the most legal and professional way to be doing things instead of going back and unlocking your charts and changing them. I mean, they're going to see those timestamps if they ever do audit you or they need your information. So it's best to not go back and unlock things, even if you signed the chart and the very next day you thought, oh, wait, I, I forgot to put this thing on. Just get in the habit of adding an addendum and not unsigning and re-signing. That's a great point. So then your charts are soap notes. So subjective, objective, assessment, and plan. So we're going to start with subjective, which is basically what the patients tell you. This is the patient's experience. And so to make my chart notes sound like everybody else's, I always put Jane Doe is a pleasant 34-year-old female presenting today with chronic migraine headaches. And then I start stating what the patient says. So I always start with something along those lines. You want to say the patient, the age, the gender, and what they're presenting with. Yes, primary chief complaint. Same. You know, I maybe won't put pleasant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I put something positive there because patients will request their chart notes. And why not, right? I mean, you can put, because obviously that's part of our diagnosis is whether the patient is cranky or grumpy AF, like uh, the grumpy AF 54-year-old male presents and uh, <laughs> it seems to be very involved in politics. Yes, you guys, straight into the point with your initial intakes. Like Stacy said, you can add a disposition there if you want to, but it's really good to just be stating sex, age, and chief complaint right there, first things. Okay. So for the chief complaint, as the patient is talking or as I'm guiding the patient through this, this is how I do this. I do the OPQRST. So we talk about the onset, what was happening when this problem happened, what was going on, how did it happen? And then P is palliative. 
So what makes it better? What makes it worse? What have you done? This is where you would ask, who have they seen? Have they been seen by other doctors, other practitioners? What have they done for this? And then Q is quality. So quality of the pain. Is it sharp and shooting or dull and achy? And then R is radiating. Does the pain radiate? Or it could be whatever. It doesn't even have to be pain. And then S is the severity. So that's where you put your pain scale. So we can talk about that for a minute. We all hate this freaking pain scale because it changes. People's perception of their pain changes. It's helpful. I put two out of 10 today or whatever, simply because I know that the insurance companies kind of like that. But I honestly go for ADLs, activities of daily living and life effect. So what is it that you cannot do? And we'll talk more about life effect in a minute. But these are also all ways of rating the pain. I'm going to say here, if you are doing a motor vehicle case or a workman's comp case or I mean, if you're just doing complete due diligence, quite frankly, if the person comes in with back pain, then do a back pain index. Use an outcome assessment tool because those are things that the insurance companies look for, especially motor vehicle accident cases. If they're going to protest paying you, if you have those outcome assessment tools, then you're more likely to get paid. Yeah, it definitely rounds out the chart a little bit more. And I'm going to like take it back, even dumb it down a little bit more, Stacey, because For me, I didn't even know what that meant when people would say that. And I also didn't know how to find those things. So for the listeners, I just want you to know that there are certain questionnaires that you can give to your patients during treatments. And you can give them first treatment, and then oftentimes they're given at treatment six. So you give them sporadically throughout treatment, and it kind of helps round out your chart to make it look more professional and so that the insurance companies can track whether the patient is getting better or not or how much better they're getting. So activities of daily living is a questionnaire that can be found. And then there's other ones. And you guys can find these by just searching them online. There's a ton of templates and they can get very specific. So there's one specific for depression and there's one specific for what Stacy said for back pain, the Awistry. And so don't get intimidated by this stuff. There's already PDFs that exist and you can just use those and add them to your chart. And if you have an electronic health record, you can just pull out that sheet of paper, have them fill it out when they need to, and then upload it to their chart as a file. So it's not even something you have to create if that's too overwhelming for you. So Google outcome assessment tools, guys. That's how you'll find those. And typically I use them for orthopedic stuff because that's the stuff that's actually, typically we're going to get paid for pain and nausea. We're lucky if we get paid beyond that. So these are oftentimes what you're seeing for people who are in pain. So it's usually neck, limbs, back pain, etc. Okay, let's talk about pertinent medical history. I kind of put that up in when I'm asking them about palliative, what have they done? Does anything make it better or worse? Then I usually slide into what have you tried? You know, have you tried heat? Have you tried cold? Have you gone to PT? Have you had an MRI? Have you seen another doctor? Have you had an inflammatory marker for your gut? Have you whatever the thing is that they are complaining. So I usually put that there. And then we move on to review of systems, which should be your, once you've done your eval, the intake, you should have asked your 10 questions in that intake, or you should have done some type of complete review of systems. I do that in my intake, and then I review that information and type it in as I'm talking to the patient in case they missed anything. So I literally sort of go head to toe with my 10 questions situation, start with head eyes, 
ears, nose, throat, and on down cardio, respiratory. What about you, Megan? Oh, I was actually going to stop you and ask a question, Stacey. Does this ever happen to you? Do you ever have a patient that's coming in for you to see you for something like shoulder pain? They just injured themselves. They want to get treatment ASAP. And then they're a new patient and you're sitting down trying to do this entire intake with them. And they start copying an attitude where you can tell that they are not interested in going through their entire medical history with you because what they want from you is to help fix their shoulder pain. Is that something you've encountered? And how do you manage that? Yeah. So especially when I first started at the emergency responder clinic, I did get that in the beginning because they can come in anytime. So they can call the same day and show up. And if they have something going on, they're very catered to. And so my intake form, because it's paper, they have to fill out paper when they come in, is not online. And it's the same one that I use in my own clinic. And when it's in online on my electronic health records in clinic, it just scrolls. They walk in and they get 11 pages of intake and it makes their heads explode. Some of them, they get very cranky and pissed because they don't understand. And this is the difference. So in my own clinic, the way that I would mitigate that is I require a 15 minute free consultation for every new patient where I can answer any questions and concerns that they may have about acupuncture and whether or not I can help them. But yet I also get to explain to them my process. So in explaining my process in my own clinic, I always say, I don't care if you're coming in for knee pain. I do a complete review of systems because I'm treating all of you. Chinese medicine is all encompassing. I'm treating all of you, your composition on top of just treating the knee pain because not everybody's knee pain is the same. And so that's how I explain it there. In the clinic, they would get angry. And as soon as somebody comes in for an eval and they sit down, I sit down and I say, okay. So let's talk about expectations for this visit. Here are some things that you can expect that are going to happen. We're going to chat for about 45 minutes. And I realize that you just have knee pain, but we're going to chat for 45 minutes because Chinese medicine is everything. Chinese medicine treats all of you, not just your knee pain. So in order for me to get a very complete diagnosis and treat your pain, and honestly, what you'll find happens too is that your sleep is better and your mood is better and your digestion is better and you're not as cranky. You're going to feel amazing, but I have to understand all of you first, and then we'll get to that. And then after we chat, then I will treat you because they just want to get to the treatment, right? And then I'm like, then I will treat you. And then you've got 45 minutes on the table, and I will treat you, and you will leave here. But this session today is just us getting to know each other. There will be no major league ballpark hits here, no miracles happening. This visit is for us to get to know each other, me to see how you respond to the needles, and you to understand what the process looks like. Next visit is 45 minutes to an hour, and we hardly talk at all. We'll just chat for a minute, and it's all about the table. Does that help? Yeah, it does, actually. And of course, different people will have different ways of managing this situation. One of the beautiful things about this, I used to be afraid of these interactions or these responses because it does reflect where you are at emotionally. How healthy are your boundaries? How are you responding to that person and their attitude? But it's also a diagnostic tool. So in those first few minutes with that person, you are already able to kind of see where they're tending towards as far as diagnosis is concerned. And so it becomes part of the overall picture. With some patients, I will not force them to go and sit through the whole thing. If they're committing to a series of six treatments, I also will gather that information slowly over a few visits and compile it instead of overwhelming them. But I gauge that based per patient. 
I loved your script. I love what you just said. That's very professional and perfect. And then I will do something like that sometimes, but it depends on the patient. It depends on really how fiery they are and whether they're going to storm out the door or not if I don't give them what they need in that exact moment. Yeah. I also see it as diagnostic. And I've tried to tell my boss, the medical doctor was like, you can't have an intake with 11 pages. And I was like, it's not your intake. You don't get to tell me how to do my intake. And I have said, I'll try and make it a little shorter. He's like, but just you're gonna make it mad. And I'm like, and that is diagnostic. When they literally do not answer the questions on my intake and I take it back to the room and they're sitting in front of me and I'm like, oh, okay, well, whether you answered it on the intake or not, you're going to answer it in here because we need to talk about everything. So this is the beauty of this whole thing. And this is the way that even when I did massage and people came in and they were kind of like walls up and uh, uh, uh. once they're through that first treatment, they are in love. They are so happy. And so when they come in again and I know I'm a little better, then I can banter with them a little bit and be like, you know, you can be angry with me. I don't take it personally. I see it as diagnostic and I'm going to treat that. Come in, Cranky. That's cool. I'm good. There's points for that. You know, they're firefighters and cops. They're pretty easy to banter with and you can kind of call them on stuff occasionally. So it's all good. Hey, this is Shelby from the Jane team. If you're new to the name, Jane is a complete practice management software designed to keep up with your busy acupuncture practice. You can take advantage of powerful features to help you manage your schedule, chart faster, sell products, bill insurance, and take payments seamlessly. And with Jane, you'll have access to a supportive community of practitioners and unbeatable support from our friendly team. Come see for yourself at jane.app forward slash acupuncture dash US. Okay, so also to you in the intakes, make sure that you have a list of medication supplements and any allergies that people may have. I also really feel like it's important to know whether they have a pacemaker, if they're an epileptic. I mean, that's kind of could be in their history too. You definitely need to know if they have a pacemaker because if you're going to do electro, you don't want to cross that. And then any hardware that they might have. So any screws or bolts in their joints, et cetera, that you need to be cognizant of. I like to know those things, too. Yeah. And surprisingly, every once in a while, you guys, someone will be like, oh, hey, by the way, and you've treated them 10 times already. You've really gotten to know them. And they'll randomly say, oh, I have a pacemaker. And then it's like, wait a minute. Didn't you remember that in our intake? And they're like, oh, no, I totally forgot to put it. So that happens as well. So it's also really nice if that happens to just add it in to the chart once you find out about it with the time and date. I don't think it's that important, but people are surprising what they do and do not remember. Yeah. On to objective. So objective is really what you see and what your findings are. I just want to say real quick, because in our first run through before we came on, we were talking about objective and it really depends on how your electronic health records categorizes things and then how it's printed out to the insurance companies. So some of these things will cross over. So don't get so wrapped and admired in the details of this. But objective is basically what you see. So you could do your visual determinations here according to Chinese medicine, like tongue and pulse. I tend to put this in a different place, but tongue, pulse, their pallor, the color of their skin, if you notice anything in particular there, you know, damp skin or whatever. 
And then if you're doing vital signs, I think you noted, Megan, that you tend to put labs and stuff in here in this portion. Oh, I know. I don't think I do labs in that section. I might add them actually to a different section. But, you know, Stacy brings up a good point where some of these things kind of bleed into each other. And it's good to just keep in mind the objective is what you're seeing, what you're smelling, what you're hearing and what you're experiencing. So if you're doing a PT exam, those findings are going to go in the objective section. How much flexion, how much extension can they do? All of that stuff kind of goes there. And Stacy's smiling right now. Because those are not PT exams. Those are orthopedic exams. Don't give them that much credit. <laughs> they don't own those. Okay, okay. Ortho exams. Thank you. So yeah, I put that stuff there. We're going to go on to assessments. What Megan states is you combine the objective and the subjective and create a diagnosis. Assessment for me, especially working in the biomed clinic, this is where the diagnosis code goes. And this is also where I tend to put any orthopedic exam results, which I often do here. So not only are you going to put, if you're billing insurance, assessment is where you put the diagnosis code. But if you're not billing insurance, then you might put your TCM diagnosis here and if they've been diagnosed with a Western medical condition here. And then you can also put your treatment principles here. But I tend to go with that into the next portion, which is plan. And so plan is where I assess. So this is where I sort of summarize everything briefly. And if you look at what a medical doctor or a PT, this is where they'll put a brief summary sometimes, especially on the initial eval, like 34-year-old presented with headache. She states that it's worse here, just very brief. And then I will put what I see, like I did a cervical neck exam and she's lacking range of motion here. And then I would put my TCM diagnosis here. And then I would put my treatment principles here. So say somebody has qi and blood stasis in the Taiyang channel, then I would say move qi and blood in the Taiyang channel to decrease pain, basically, or move qi and blood to decrease pain in the Taiyang channel. And then I put treatment plan. And I think this is a really important part. When you do an evaluation, you should create a treatment plan for your patient no matter what. Now, they're going to be prepared for this because I've talked about this ad nauseum to you guys before. But if you're doing an initial consultation that's free, you would have already mentioned to them that typically you see your patients at least six visits and then you do a reevaluation. They should know that typically, regardless of whether it's acute or chronic, you want to see them at least six times. You may even push that out further if it's chronic, right? You may say 10 times. But sometimes we don't see anything happen until the fifth or sixth visit. And so they need to stick around for that and be patient. You've said it in the initial consultation. Another time that I say it is when I'm talking to them at the very beginning of the evaluation about expectations. I bring it up again then. And this is how you get people to schedule onto a treatment plan. And this is how you get your schedule full new practitioners. This is how you fill your schedule right here. This is so important. Listen to this. So you did it in the initial. You did it in the beginning of the eval. You set them up so that they know what's going to happen. And so then you say, based on what I've seen, patient will be treated in my office twice a week for the next three weeks for a total of six visits, at which time we will reevaluate with the goal of decreasing the intensity of the patient's headaches and the duration of the patient's headaches. Or the goal is, I, I kind of glossed over it briefly, we talked about life effect. 
I always ask my patients, what is it that you cannot do because of this pain? Where, where, what do you want to do, but you can't because of this problem? And it'll just be basic. It'll be, I want to drive my grandkids to daycare. And so that is what you're going to use to measure with their progress. So patient is able to get in the car and drive her kids to daycare one time. That's your goal. So when I do the treatment plan, patient will come in twice a week for the next three weeks. Or I often say, because my schedule is pretty sparse and it's hard for people to get in all the time. So then I'll say, if I think that it's going to be complicated, patient will come one time a week or patient will come one time a week for the next six weeks and then we will reevaluate. And then I put the results of tongue, results of pulse, and then TCM diagnosis again, and then the points that I use. And then if I do manual therapy, and you have to state with manual therapy, because manual therapy is charted in time increments of 15 minutes. So a 97140 is in 15 minute increments, units, right? So you build one unit at 15 minutes. And so you say, manual therapy, sliding cupping along the paraspinals, especially up into the trapezius, to increase blood flow to the area, maybe even release myofascial restrictions and decrease pain. And then you write 15 minutes. And then at the bottom of that, if you're billing a 97810, then you need to document that you had one unit of face-to-face time. So that's 15 minutes. So we'll go over this in a minute because I'm going to be pretty specific about it. I think it's very important that you guys really understand what this means. Basically, In my mind, I'm billing them for two sets of needles. This is usually what I can get done in a new eval. And I'm sorry to say this, guys, but you do have to think through this stuff when you're billing insurance. So I bill two units of needles and one unit of manual therapy if it's necessary. If it's necessary. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then you need to document the amount of face-to-face time that you spent with the patient when you were treating them. I document both because I'm billing a 99203, which is an evaluation code. That's 30 minutes face-to-face time with the patient. Sometimes I build a 204 because the medical doctor is telling me to bill a 204. I highly suggest you do not bill a 204. I'm just doing it because my boss is telling me until we get audited for it. But Maury West, who is like our number one person to learn how to do all of this from, tells acupuncturists not to bill a 99204, which is an evaluation. It's a severity evaluation, a 45-minute eval. But he's telling me to do it because I do spend 45 minutes talking to the patient. So we'll see what happens. I'll let you know how that goes. Right. And her take on it is that, you know, you only bill that if it's a severe case and then therefore warrants more time because that's how the insurance companies view it, right? It's not, it's not based on like time necessarily. It's based on severity of complaint or injury. I'm sure somebody's going to correct us on this, but it's actually time and severity as far as I know. Time and severity. Yes. When I look at the code, I see 20-minute eval, 30-minute eval, and then like a 40 to 45-minute eval. And so since I'm spending 45 minutes with the patient talking about something, then my boss is like, no, you need to build the 204. So, and I'm like... Maury West said not to do that and that we're going to get audited. (laughs) So we'll see how quickly I get audited for that. And then you need to make sure that you put the amount of time that you spent with the patient face-to-face. I usually put face-to-face eval, 45 minutes. I just put FTF, time, 38 minutes or 30 minutes treatment time. We should talk about that for a minute so that we can be pretty clear on that. So I learned from Maury West that 
your needles, your 97810, or if you're going to do electro, um, 97813, thank 97814. you, 97814. <laughs> like panic stricken look here for a second. <laughs> this okay. Is, this is EHRs. They make it so that we don't actually have to remember some of this stuff and free up our brain. So the way this works is that you're timed on the timing that you need to set. Oh, this is complicated. If you're doing one set of needles, you need to have that first, you can start that first set at a minute eight. So the patient walks in the door, you're talking to the patient, you can start that first set at minute eight. Okay. And you record that. And that is your first 15 minutes. So eight equals 15. I'm sure that doesn't make sense to some people. So your first set is eight minutes, okay? And you start at eight minute and you put that first set in. I usually do auricular for my first set of, of needles because I like to chill people out and make them stop talking. So your first set is between eight and 22 minutes. That's your first unit. Your second unit is between 23 and 37 minutes, Okay. So if you're going to do three units of needles, you need to document face-to-face time of 38 minutes or more. If you're going to do two sets of needles, you need to document at least 23 minutes of face-to-face time. So like I just said, so your first set of needles can go in starting at minute eight. Your second set can go in starting at minute 23. Does that make sense, Megan? Yeah, this is nice. This is great clarification. This is according to Maury West just so you guys know. And once again, she's not paying me. <laughs> I wish Maury West would pay me to promote her, but Maury West makes so much money, she doesn't need to advertise on my podcast. <laughs> but I will tell you guys, her courses are the best. And if you're coming out and you're new, you're better off spending money on a course like this than you are on facial rejuvenation acupuncture. I would have a differing opinion than this, but... That's a fun topic of conversation because I just want to throw it in there because we're talking about it right now. I actually feel a little bit differently about taking an insurance course right away because that's so much information. And I notice that people, even while you're doing it, you're not going to remember it all. And so what I think practitioners are going to run up against if they take it too early when they don't have a patient base is that they're going to forget a lot of that stuff because they're not getting to utilize what they're learning. So I would rather people kind of wait to pay for that course until it really matters for them, until they know, oh, oh, hey, I've got a nice little handful of insurance patients now. I really want to get dialed with this. Because you could take that class and sometimes building a practice takes a long time. You could, you know, not have a bunch of insurance patients until two years in and then be like, oh, man, I need to take that class all over again. So I have a slightly differing opinion than Stacy on this, but to each their own. You know, it's just going to depend on the person. For me, it was too much. It was like, wait, what? Codes, times, sets, what? And then the insurance world makes no sense. And so then I get very caught up in the pedantic frustration of why is this the way it is? This isn't right. This isn't right. And it was just too much for me. Like, talk about drinking from a fire hose. That's drinking from a fire hose is when you're having to learn the ins and outs of the insurance game. So do it if you can apply it or start practicing with it. Or you just have an incredible brain and you can remember everything and you don't get overwhelmed and cry in a corner when things get too tough. 
But I think already having a handful of patients that you're supposed to be billing for insurance is too late because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what a 97810 is. Megan, you're in a different position because you bought a practice that was already loaded and it was already being billed for insurance. And so you slid in and you're like, I don't know, just just point me in the right direction and I'll try and do what I'm supposed to do. I don't really get it. I don't understand it. Not right now, but I'm, I, know, I know I just have to follow these orders. Whereas a new practitioner has no freaking idea what a 97810 is or that they should have that first set in within the first eight minutes. And I actually did take this class. This was the first class that I did take from Maury. And this was in 2017. And I still know this shit better than most people. Yeah, that's great. Well, you've got that brain, like I said. <laughs> You're like, you just <laughs> I was just having enough, you know, trouble getting myself out of bed and fed and work on time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, let's move on. We can touch on herbal prescriptions right here. So I'm not doing herbal prescriptions at the biomed clinic yet, but I will be guys. But anyway, in my own clinic, if I prescribe something, I write what I prescribed. I write the dosage that I suggested. And then I also make a certain note to myself of two other formulas that I think might fit the pattern. That way, if this one doesn't work, I can follow my line of thinking into the other places and go back and reevaluate. So that is what I tend to do with that. There's a whole slew of things that you legally have to do if you are mixing granules or doing bulk formulas, but we are not going to talk about that today. So patient education, anything that you tell the patient. So in other words, like if you suggest or teach them a breathing exercise, you need to put that or any exercises or nutrition. Anything else on this part? I would do like referrals in this section. So any patient advice, not just the exercise stuff, but if I want that patient to go get follow up blood work, I will notate that, that I ask them to follow up with their GP for XYZ. Oh, and prognosis. Yeah, prognosis. That's on this list, too. Let's talk about prognosis. Yeah. So Stacy and I talked about this and she was surprised that I would do a prognosis or that that would be in here at all. There's some insurance companies and some professional letters that you're going to have to write, like letters of medical necessity. You're going to want a prognosis. They're going to want to see because they just don't want willy nilly. You're just treating a patient. They're going to want to see what the physician, what the doctor has decided and what the prognosis is based on the signs, symptoms, and experience of the practitioner with the patient. So while this is maybe not the most important aspect, it does get asked for sometimes. And I've done it separately in letters of medical necessity before. So if I'm working with TriWest and you're requesting another series of treatments, you're going to go in and you can't just say they need more treatments. You need to be able to say why they need more treatments and what you expect as a practitioner the outcome to be. And this gets into an important area, I think, because some patients that you're going to see are chronic conditions. So their prognosis may only be 25, 30% better. That does not mean that acupuncture does not work. It's like, I feel like so many of us don't want to say those things or admit those things or write those things because it makes us look like we're not useful, but we put way too much pressure on ourselves to be perfect and to do more than we can do. If a patient who's suffering with chronic pain gets 25% better, that's a big deal to them in the grand scheme of things. So saying a prognosis is not setting your patient up to fail. It's not pigeonholing them because you also leave room open for, 
you know, miracles to happen or for them to get even more than 25%. But it gives the insurance companies an idea of what the condition is and what acupuncture can and cannot do. So I think it's a very important thing to practice, even if you're not going to put it in your notes, just practice it for yourself. Being honest with yourself, like how much can I affect this patient in a positive way? What do I expect? That way you're not setting yourself up to feel disappointment too if you're not able to cure them of some incurable disease that they have. Can you give us an example of what how you would word a prognosis? Well, let's back up for a second. Let's talk about prognosis. How would you define prognosis? Prognosis to me is I take the patient's complaint, the objective findings, their history, and their overall health to determine the likelihood that they're going to get results from acupuncture, manual therapy, etc. So it's kind of like taking this entire treatment intake and you kind of like funnel it down to this very last step of this is what I anticipate we will see with this patient during treatment. And it justifies future treatments. It justifies length of treatment. It justifies how much time you spend with the patient or how many modalities you choose. So for me, how it would be worded based on the patient's presentation in clinic and the chronic nature of their condition, I expect there to be 10 to 25% improvement in range of motion, Within six treatments, I expect to see some number change in their pain scale. If they're at a 10, I expect them to drop two points in the pain scale. Is that making sense? It's kind of worded in that way, where it's what you are anticipating their results are going to look like. Yes, very good. I just think it's important for sitting where I'm at, listening to and reading everything that the Western medicine practitioners, how they speak is enlightening to me and educational to me. So I feel like giving new practitioners the words, so some of the words in there were based on my professional opinion, the patient's overall health, the severity of the pain, the chronic nature of the pain. Based on all of these findings, it is my professional opinion that the patient will experience a 20% decrease in overall pain with better sleep and blah, 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 right? Yes. So this doesn't stress people out. You're going to make a template for yourself and you're going to cut and paste that template and you're going to change the pertinent things so that the verbiage is there to make it look and sound and flow in a professional manner. So whenever I do have to do a prognosis or write a letter of medical necessity, I have a template that already exists, and then I change the pertinent information that needs to be changed so that you're not always having to worry about whether you're saying it the right way. Yes. And also to these electronic health records, I know Jane, you're welcome, Jane, can be programmed with just like shortcuts. So you can start saying something and the whole thing will get typed in and then you just edit that little blurb. So there's really fast ways of doing this as well. So do you feel like we've covered the eval pretty well? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So really, let's talk about the follow-up. So the follow-up, the subjective, literally when someone walks in, I said, this is how quick it goes. And this is something that it took me a little while to learn that I'm over-reporting, over-asking, over-examining every single visit as a new practitioner, making sure that I've done everything 100,000 times over and over again. Here is what I do now. It's so, so lovely. 
you already know the diagnosis. You already know the tongue and pulse. You already know what you did. When they walk in, you say, how did you feel after last treatment? And they'll say, I felt really great. It was their first treatment ever. I felt really kind of just relaxed. And I'm like, do you still have headaches? Has that changed? No, it's the same. Okay, cool. Well, let's treat you because we didn't really expect any major changes. So, you know, let's just treat you then. Go ahead and hop on the table. And it's okay to stay. So how would I type that? I would say, Mary presents today and she states that there were no changes since last visit and that she felt relaxed after her first acupuncture session. End of story. That's all I put. And then I go straight to my treatment section and I would do tongue and pulse if I'm going to do it again. Usually, I'm going to be honest, I usually only do tongue and pulse unless I think they're like emotionally, I think there's some huge switches and changes because we're working with period problems or like, but if it's orthopedic in nature, then I just do tongue and pulse on eval days. So I often skip tongue and pulse unless something feels like it's changed dramatically. And then I want to see where we're going. But I usually skip that too. And they just get straight on the table and we get to go in. And I'm at minute eight with points in their ears. And if they want to talk more, then they can talk more. But they're on my table and I'm treating them at that point. And I am out of the room by minute 24 easily. And I have done in that period of time two sets of needles. I always do two sets of needles. And I may have done manual therapy in there as well. Yes. Agreed. Same. That's yeah. kind of my flow as well. Yeah. And as far as like the following up with the tongue and pulse every single time, some people are very, I mean, the pulse is everything to them and they're trained with that. Mm-hmm. So of course that would make sense for you guys to spend more time with that. For me, I'm more similar to Stacy, where I will check it if I feel it's necessary. If we're working on a digestive issue, you know, not a pain issue. Absolutely. I will check that tongue every single time because it, it lets me see that. But it's sporadic. It, and often it's cut, paste, cut, paste, copy from the previous treatment over. So these EHRs make it so all the things are filled in and you can honestly just go and change. Oh, I decided not to do this point and this point. So let's delete those out. I did add this point and this point. It, it gets to be very simple and the follow-ups are very fast. Your follow-up notes should be very concise. Exactly. Yeah. And I'll give you guys a little hack. So when I treat... I have my needle set on my little paper towel, my clean paper towel, and I treat my patient and I use those needles. And then before I leave the room, I write down the points and I write their initials on it. And then I don't use that again, obviously, because I've just dirtied up my field, but I don't need to because I'm not going to stick more needles in. I've already done it. So when I'm cleaning up the room afterwards, I take that little paper towel. I just left the room at minute 25. I have to get to the other room because I'm treating two patients an hour. I've already charted what they said. So subjective is in there. And now I have my little paper towel with all the points that I, and the treatment that I did. And I stick them someplace where nobody can see them as I'm going throughout the day. At the end of the day, I have a stack of paper towels and it has everybody's uh, points on it. And I just put them in order and then type them in. And it takes me like today, I just treated like eight patients back to back. And it took me an hour to chart. So I go back through all of my notes, make sure that everything makes sense, make sure that I correct my typos, that I fill things in here and there, because sometimes patients will talk really fast and I just blurb things a little bit and then go in, type in all of those, and I'm done with the charts. I can chart a little bit while they're talking and then finish everything, eight patients in one hour. So that's my little hack of writing it down on the paper towels. But it's it's helped me so much because... I tend to forget. I can't remember everything. Eight patients, I don't even know who I'm talking to anymore. Like, I have to be really careful. I'm getting old. You don't even know. 
One last question before we finish up. This question has to do with when you're doing a reevaluation in particular. And this is something that Megan and I chatted about too. This is something that somebody said to me. Somebody sent me a message and said, hey, if you're not treating an orthopedic case and you're doing a reevaluation, what are you reevaluating and what do you say? And my answer to that is, well, yes, of course, during a reevaluation, if you're an orthopedic practitioner, you're going to redo your orthopedic tests, your ranges of motion. You're going to take a look at all of your initial eval. Now, this portion relates to any problem. You go back to your initial eval and you say, patient presents with 8 out of 10 excruciating pain during her menses. And so you've seen her for I guess it wouldn't be six visits. You'd be like three months if we're talking about periods. But how have things changed? Where are they at? What is new? Based on this new information, what are you going to create as a treatment plan? So if somebody's periods have changed so much that they're only at a level two or three out of 10 in pain, but it's still every single period, then you're going to continue to see that patient for another X amount of visits because you still want to get a better result right? You're not done yet. And they have clots. You're not done yet. But you're just going to talk about how you measured whatever it was, that life effect that they were looking for. Patient can now take her grandkids to daycare, but she's still fatigued in the late afternoon. So you still want to work on these things. You decide then what the next treatment plan is. And you've talked about this to your patient. They know they're not done at visit six unless they're really done, which is exciting. I love telling people they're done. And then you say, maybe say like, okay, so we're going to treat the patient for more visits spread out through once a week to find the proper dosage to maintain a certain level of wellness or like not wellness, but sometimes I'll say like if I know somebody has chronic back pain, I will say based on treatment evaluation, I am determining that I would like to see the patient once a week for the next three weeks, at which time we may attempt to spread the visits out to find a minimum dosage amount to maintain pain-free status for the patient who is diagnosed with chronic pain. Anything else do you think that we need to cover? I think that I, I kind of wanted to just touch on the fact that when we're in school, and what I remember from my school experience is that we're expected to meet a patient and make a perfect diagnosis and choose a perfect herbal formula for them on the very first visit. There's like this pressure on us that we're supposed to do this. This is not how the medical field works. And part of our medical charting notes need to be exploratory. They're a way for us to kind of compile information and then be able to change our opinion and our diagnosis over time. And that could include that your very first diagnosis was wrong. And that's okay. That's okay. I think that I, as a perfectionist and being so hard on myself, I have trouble allowing myself to expand in that way sometimes because I feel like if we were trained, I should know this. I should already know all the points that I should do. And I should know all the things that's for this person. And that's just not how it works in the real world. And that's not how it works in the biomedical world. A doctor is trained to make their best educated decision based on what they're given. And then over time, they change that decision if they need to. They don't know everything either. You know, people assume that doctors know everything. They go into a back room and they pull books off of their desk. They look things up online. They call a colleague and they say, hey, 
my patient's presenting with these symptoms. I'm thinking it could be something along the lines of this. What are you thinking that it is? So they have a, a lot different way of going about treating patients. And this pisses patients off because, of course, everyone wants a diagnosis. And in California, doctors like aren't allowed to diagnose anymore. It's so crazy. I've had a patient just last week tell me that their doctor said, yeah, so I'm not allowed to give you a diagnosis. I have to refer you to a specialist because of malpractice lawsuits. That's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. So doctors' hands are often tied. But I just want to remind the listeners to not be so hard on themselves to make exactly perfect decisions right away and to allow themselves to change things over time. And partly, like in biomedicine, they do a differential diagnosis, a diagnostic tree, basically a decision tree is made. This is a tool that's so valuable and so important, and I wish they would have showed us this in school because this is just kind of the end-all be-all. You know, at the top of the decision tree, you're going to be writing low back pain, and it's a very nice little graph that's set up beautifully, and then you have little lines. Could it be chronic chi and blood stagnation? Is it cold in the channels? You kind of get to line out all the possible diagnoses that are there and then do a branching off how you would treat that based on those symptoms. And that way, if you start going down a path and the patient is returning and not getting results, you can kind of go back and just kind of be like, all right, so my initial differential was not the correct differential. I need to start looking at whether or not this is, is more cold in the channels or something like that. So I know this is adding a lot to people's plates, but I think that in my doctoral program, learning about a decision tree was a very invaluable tool. And I think it's important to play with it and experiment with that so we can add those to our charts as well. It shows that you're involved in thinking about the patient. You don't have to be right every single time. And and as we all know, patients are not one diagnosis. They are like 10 diagnoses all at once. And you're having to tease apart and pick which thing you're going to be treating first, the branch, the root, which one's more important. And so it's not as cut and dry as all that. And it makes our charting a little more awkward. So tools like a decision tree kind of clean it up a little bit on paper and for our, our minds. Maybe we'll do a podcast on the decision tree. Actually, you know who's really good at that? Bob Flaws. Actually, that's the way he teaches. He literally calls people out. Okay, so we have neck pain. What are the five diagnoses that this can be? And so he makes them rattle them off. Boom, 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 boom. And same thing if you study with Toby Daly. The way that he teaches in the very beginning classes, which is Sa'am acupuncture, is that we take a look at all of the symptoms and we categorize them into what it could be in order to get the correct diagnosis. So we put them in categories and then figure it out that way. I feel like in school, we just went so fast on memorizing everything, but we had to, right? There was no way around it. But yes, working through these slower, working through trees is definitely helpful. All right, you guys, that's the episode for Soap Notes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming back on, Megan. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for getting dirty with us talking about soap notes. <laughs> ah, very good. Uh, all right. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it. <laughs>